0: Imagine the frustration that you would feel And there was this man who had arrived and you put so much hope in that had so much promise to lead you and to lead your people to a brighter day and yet it seemed like it was such a long way off and, it, and you have these questions in your mind of man is this really going to get us where we want to go anytime soon. Now think about what it would have been like to live as a Jew in Jesus' day, living under Roman oppression, yearning for freedom, uh, yearning for things to be like they were in the old days. You were home, you were in your own country, but you weren't free. You also had this built-in cultural expectation that somebody was going to come and deliver you. That someone was going to come and you would raise up and throw off The yoke of Roman oppression. And then Jesus shows up. Another person who looks to be a hero shows up, comes on the scene, and Jesus announces the arrival of the kingdom. We saw this earlier in the book of Mark. Jesus says, The time is at hand, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then Jesus started on his tour of Israel, and he went from city to city, preaching the good news, healing the sick. Driving out demons. But it didn't seem like he was making any move to raise up a rebellion. To try to throw off the Roman uh, oppressors. In fact, there were times when it seemed like he kind of wanted his identity to be concealed for the moment. Not completely revealed at least. In, in Mark 3.1, whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you're the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. He's like, get get off of Twitter. Don't be posting that. We're not letting up the news out quite yet. How do you rally an army like that? How do you start a rebellion like that? And then he tells them this parable of the sorrels that we looked at a few weeks ago about uh, the ways in which different people would receive his message. Uh, and he essentially says there's, Four types of reactions to my message, and three of them are going to be bad. And then he goes on to his disciples when he's explaining this parable to them, and he seems to be saying to them that one of the functions of parables is actually, can be, to harden the hearts of those who hear them. Can you imagine the frustration at being his disciple? You weren't physically suffering yet, but you would be. And you'd certainly be asking yourself, What's he doing? What's Jesus up to? Where is all this headed? Are his words going to have any effect on anybody? And when in the world is he gonna establish this kingdom that he keeps talking about? Because I can't excuse me, because I can't see it, and I can't imagine it coming anytime soon the way he's going about things. We live thousand years uh, after the life of Jesus Christ but I'm guessing that you feel the same sort of frustration at being his disciple at times wondering why the world seems to be continue to, to get worse in our minds wondering why people you love aren't changing wondering why why am I not changing more if, if I know Jesus Christ wondering sometimes just how long how long will I continue to be difficult. Being a disciple of Jesus still has its own share of frustration. Uh, He doesn't doesn't do things the way I would like him to do uh, all the time. And he knows that. And so he comes to his disciples and he comes to us in this passage and both challenges us and encourages us uh, in the midst of our frustration. So look with me, this is Uh, The Word of God, Mark chapter 4, verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear, the measure measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises, night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it he did not speak to them without a parable but privately to his own disciples he explained everything let pray with me father thank you for giving us uh, your word this morning i pray that you would help us to pay attention to what we hear i pray indeed that you would give us ears to hear and to receive your word into our hearts And to bear fruit in our lives, we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. So, as disciples of Jesus, we are prone to get frustrated because the kingdom of God doesn't seem to be coming as quickly as we would like it to be in this world. I want us to look at these three parables, three of these parables here, excuse me, and see what they have to say to us about the King and about His kingdom. So, three things they tell us. Number one, the king will bring light into the world. The king will bring light into the world. Number two, the king's word will have effect. The king's word will have effect. And number three, the king's kingdom will be established. The king's kingdom will be established. Number one, the king will bring light into the world. Uh, In the first parable in this section, Jesus asked the question... Why do you bring a lamp into the house? So imagine in our world, your power goes out, and you go get your comb and lantern, and you light it. Do you bring it in the house and put it under a basket? No. Do you bring it in the house and put it under the bed? No. You bring it into the house not to then just cover the light up, but you bring it in to bring light to the house. And the point I think Jesus is making to His disciples and to us is that yes, at the beginning of His uh, ministry, there is some degree of hiddenness to the kingdom. The the king may be concealed and not fully made known at this point. But He tells them, don't misunderstand this. Don't misunderstand this. Because just like a lamp is brought into a dark house, to bring light. Jesus has come into the world to bring light. Uh, John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so Jesus may be a veiled king at this point in the Gospel of Mark for a moment, but who He is, And how he's going to establish his kingdom are going to be more and more revealed. He will bring light into the world. His glory is going to be revealed. Romans 1, verse 4 Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. In his death and in his resurrection, the glory of Jesus, the light of Jesus is revealed to the world. And the day is coming when He's going to be more fully revealed. Philippians 2, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and it on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. So the day, the day is coming when He can be fully revealed and fully made known. Now, I want to I think about two things under each one of these parables. I want us to think about how these parables can encourage us and how these parables also can challenge us. First of all, how can this encourage us? How can this encourage us? I think this parable is encouraging to us as we think about how this has actually been true through the course of history. That Jesus really has brought light uh, into the world. It was common in the, the Greco-Roman world of Jesus' day uh, for people to throw out female babies because of the low status of women in that day. Like we don't, they're not worth anything. So it was common to, to throw them out if they were not needed. The church would not allow its members to do that. So it was this light coming into the world. In uh, that day, uh, because unmarried women were not valued widows had to remarry within two years. And so the church was careful to provide financially for widows and to honor them so that they didn't have to immediately remarry if they didn't want to. There was light coming into the world. Christians didn't believe in cohabitation. Uh, You had A man had to actually marry a woman and make vows to provide for her if he was to live with her. And that was for her protection, especially in that day where women were so uh, unvalued. There was light coming in the world. Pagan men were free to to have affairs and to have mistresses. It was just common practice and nobody really questioned that and the church said, no. You can't treat women in this way and so life was coming into the world. In our own day, we referenced Martin Luther King Jr. earlier. uh, When he led the civil rights movement he didn't say, hey white Christians, you need to be more secular. He said, you need to actually live in line with what the Bible you profess to believe teaches. So light is coming in to the world. Christianity has changed the world. I think we can kind of, we get so, you know, we're stuck in our own cultural moment and we don't realize how much Christianity actually has changed the world. That Christianity has brought the light of Christ into the world and it continues to bring the light of Christ into the and we ought to rejoice in that and remember that and be glad in that. And we ought to remember as well that just as Jesus brings light at the macro level, He can bring light at the micro level into our individual situations as well. And so where there's darkness and difficulty in your life, know that, that Jesus is the one can, who can bring light into those situations that seem so dark. He's the one who can bring light. As well, so we ought to pursue him and seek him, that he would bring light into our darkness. The second way this encourages, I think, is to remind us that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Or maybe we ought to say, the one who is light is at the end of the tunnel. Uh, moms and dads, and I, we've got a, we've got a lot of, of uh, young children. Uh, we've got those of you with multiple young children. Those of you with newborns. Uh, you desperately want to know, you desperately want somebody to tell you that there is light at the end of the tunnel. All right, And you're tired of feeling guilty because people say, it's going to go so quick, you need to enjoy this. Don't worry about that. All right, Because I'm here to tell you there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is a day where you're not, you're not going to have to change diapers 24 hours a day. There is a day coming <clears throat> where you're actually going to get some sleep. There is a day coming when your kids... Are going to be able to, to buckle their own seatbelts, and you don't have to put on a 50 point safety harness. And that is a glorious day, all right? And you ought to, to look forward to that day. But as much as you look forward to that day, as much as you look forward to the light at the end of the tunnel that you feel like you're in, you're going to get to the end of that tunnel, and guess what? You're going to get to go down another tunnel. It might be better, better tunnel, it might be a worse tunnel. But there's going to be another tunnel. Uh, it might be something else with your kids. It might be you, it might be your family. Who knows what it's going to be. But there are going to be other tunnels that we have to go down. And so as glorious as these milestones in life are, and as much as we rejoice when we get through one difficulty or the other, the light that we really ought to have our eyes focused on is that day when Jesus in all His glory is revealed. When the, when the lampshade, as it were, comes completely off the lamp. And if you know Him, in that day you will meet Him and you will become like Him, 1 John tells us, because you will see Him as He is. That we will be in the very presence of the One who is Light itself. You will have reached the one who is the light at the end of the tunnel. And everything will be right, and everything will be glorious because you will be in the presence of the one who is glorious. And everything sad will come undone because the one who loves you will make all things new. So that's the, the light that we look to and we're encouraged to through the tunnels of life to look forward to. How does this challenge me? How does this challenge me? I think it challenges us by, by causing us to ask ourselves a question, is my life reflecting the light of Jesus to others? Is my life reflecting the light of Jesus to others? You know, Our, our faces are always reflecting something. Um, I, I took the boys to Hornets basketball game last night. And because the team won, all of our faces lit up and reflect that glory. If you're on the losing team, then your face does the opposite and you reflect the sadness of the situation. When we're depressed, you can see it in our faces because all we can see is the difficulty of our circumstances and that shows up on our face. So this challenges me to look to Jesus and to dig deep into Jesus for my good. Uh, the psalmist says, and I love that the King James translation, Psalm 43.5, and the word countenance, we don't use that, it just simply means your, your face, okay? So why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him. Who is the health of my countenance? And my God. And so it's good for me To look to Jesus and to hope in Him. That's good for the health of my countenance. For the health of my face. You'll see it in my face when I'm placing my hope in God. And when I'm doing that, that's not just good for me. That's good for the people around me as well. As I reflect the light that Jesus has brought into my life. As I reflect that into the light of others. Matthew 5, in a very similar passage, Jesus says... Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Are you and I reflecting the light, the glory of Jesus? Because we're digging deeply into it. Are we reflecting the love and the grace of Jesus to sinners? Are we reflecting the patience that God has shown to us? think non-Christians see when they see us? Who, Who do they see coming when they see us coming? Do they see light? Do they see grace? Do they see anger and condemnation? Do they think we see them as the enemy who we're fighting with to get our culture back? I heard a friend, I had a friend say recently that the evangelical church in America looks a lot like Tom Hanks at the end of Saving Prophet Brian where he's dying and he can't do anything about it and he's angry about it and he's just firing randomly, angrily into the sky in protest. And he said, I think that's what the church looks like to the culture around us. We feel like we're losing influence and we're angry about it and so we're just firing off shot after shot." After shot, And is that really reflecting the light of Jesus? Uh, Scott Sauls wrote recently, he said, A Christian friend of mine who is an actor once invited a gay friend over to have dinner with him and his wife. Their guest soon realized from the Bible on the coffee table that they were Christians. He then said to my friend, You're a Christian and you actually like me? Scott Sauls writes, This kind of story causes my heart to sink. Does it yours? Are we serious about being Christ ambassadors in the world? Then we must humbly wrestle with and fight with love to reverse the idea that Christians are against people who don't believe like we do. Whether this impression is true or merely perceived, it is still our starting point in the minds of many non-Christian people. If we are not guilty ourselves, then we are at least guilty by association with believers who have misrepresented the biblical Jesus with harsh, abrasive, condemning, or withdrawn attitudes. We must take personal responsibility as far as it depends on us to replace pictures of a false Jesus with pictures of the real Jesus, the Jesus who came full of grace and truth, and who even welcomed sinners and ate with them. What are nine Christians seeing? When they see us coming, we're bringing not just truth, but grace and truth. And we really reflecting the light of Jesus. Jesus comes into the world as a lamp to give light to a world that is in darkness. Be encouraged by that. Be encouraged by that. But be challenged by that to actually be one who <laughs> reflects this light of Jesus to others. Second king's word will have effect the king's word will have effect Uh, the next story jesus tells here is about a farmer who simply goes around his field scattering seed and every day whether the farmer gets up or stays in the bed those seeds seem to sprout and and come up in his field independent of the farmer who actually planted the seed so here's a question Um, How's Jesus actually going to grow this kingdom of his? Jesus is bringing a kingdom. How's he actually going to grow this kingdom of his? Is he going to do it by raising an army? No. Is he going to do it by starting a political movement? No. He's going to do it by planting seed, by sowing seed. He's going to do it through preaching, through the proclamation of his word through His disciples carrying to others the story of Jesus. You know, that seems like kind of a weak way to build a kingdom, really, doesn't it? We're just going to go preach and talk to people. Uh, Paul said it was actually foolish. That's what he thought about it. He did it. Uh, He he said it's through the foolishness of preaching, though, that God actually saves people and grows His kingdom. Uh, Romans 1 says that the gospel... It is actually the power of God unto salvation. And so Jesus says to his disciples, here's how we're going to do this kingdom thing. I'm going to preach and you're going to preach. And we're going to to scatter seeds. We're going to be like that farmer. And I know you don't understand how that could possibly grow a kingdom. But it's going to happen independently of how good you are at it and how well you understand it simply as you plant the Word of God. It may seem pointless. You may not see results overnight. But that seed of the Word of God is going to burrow down into people's hearts and sprout and grow and produce a great harvest. How does it encourage us? It's all kind of obvious. How does it encourage us? It reminds us that the power of the gospel is not in me. It's in the Word of God itself. moms and dads, uh, if you haven't started already, isn't this great encouragement to sow the seed of God in the hearts of your children? Reading it to them, having them memorize it and store it up. If you have started already, isn't this reason to keep sowing, to keep planting these seeds of the Word? If you haven't seen results yet, Isn't this reason to to wait and to patiently hope in the providence of God and in His timing that that word and His timing will bear fruit? Uh, This encourages me when I preach the gospel. It ought to encourage Jim on Thursday night at the Intercity Revival, Sunday school teachers. It ought to encourage you because I know it seems pointless week after week when the children are like this. You know, they're all around the room, and you're trying to teach your lesson, and you're going, uh, we could just as well be home watching television for all good get this is doing. That word that you're planting will bear fruit in their lives. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Be encouraged when you share the gospel with your friends. Be encouraged when the people you are talking to or teaching have a blank face. Uh, When you are thinking about something else, you're in a different place, you're tired, it's not your best work. Be encouraged. The Word of God is being planted. You're planting spiritual seed in people's hearts, and who knows what the Spirit of God might use down the road to bring this seed to life. Cause them to come to life and to take root and to flourish. Uh, my dad, when when we were growing up, my dad always had a, a huge, and I mean huge garden uh, every year that I would have to work in. And it always fascinated me when you're working in the garden to see something coming up in the middle of a row that was something there that you hadn't planted. All right, so you got like these two rows of green beans or whatever that you planted. And then in the middle of them, there's this watermelon seed coming up. And you're like, wow. Well, how in the world did this watermelon come up in the middle of the green beans? Well, often the way that happens was it came from the compost. And here are the is The compost is like the mix of uh, apple cores and tomato pills and coffee grounds that my mom would throw them in a bucket. And you know, in, in, in lower Alabama back in the day, you didn't buy a fancy compost bin from Restoration Hardware or something and get all fancy in your yard. You would, you would take the compost and you would just throw it in a pile next to the garden and that's where you went and dug earthworms and it was time to go fishing. If you didn't do that, you would just throw it down the middle of the rows and eventually it would get plowed in. Well, what would happen there? Well, sometimes you throw out a watermelon rind in the middle of the row. A year later, you didn't really realize you were planting it there. You had planted a watermelon right there. There it is popping up in the middle of the row. Of green bills. Sometimes when I preach, when I teach, I feel like I go home and say, "Man, you just threw out a bunch of compost today." Like that was that was basically what that was. That was the quality of the work today. That wasn't my A game. That wasn't even like a D level game. That was just that was just a bad day. And maybe you know that feeling where you've tried to lead a Bible study, you're like, "Oh my goodness, what did I just do?" Are you trying tried to share the gospel with somebody and you walk away going, that's never going to have any effect in that person's life. That was just compost. But if you're proclaiming the Word of God, guess what? There was seed in that compost that you just threw out in the midst of all that junk. There was the seed of the Word of God. And you don't know how that's going to sprout from what you threw out one year, five years 10 years from now. Because the power isn't in you. The power isn't in me. The power is in the Word of God. So be encouraged as you sow the Word of God. But then, how does this challenge me? It forces me to ask myself the question, am I sowing the Word? Am I sowing the Word in my own heart? Am I sowing the Word in my children's hearts? When I interact with people that don't believe, you know, we don't want to be like those people who just memorize a list of scripture and the first time you have a chance to hear the gospel you just kind of vomit Bible verses all over them. Alright? But we can kind of go to the other extreme because we don't want to be that person. And so we're like, oh, I don't want to bring the Bible into this conversation. I don't want to be one of those Bible thumpers. I think this challenges, challenges us to think about how do I winsomely and lovingly bring the Word of God into my conversations with those who don't believe because I actually believe that the Word of God has power. That the Word of God has power. The King will bring light into the world. The Word of the King will have effect. And then finally, the King's kingdom will be established. Uh, Jesus teaches us this with a, with finally with a parable of the mustard seed. The mustard seed was known to be the smallest seed that you planted in the garden, but it grew up to be one of the biggest plants, so big that birds would come and perch in this plant and find shade from the sun. Uh, the Old Testament prophets used this picture of birds uh, perching in the limbs uh, of, of, of the trees to foreshadow the days when the Gentiles would actually be brought into the very kingdom of God. And so the simple message in this parable is don't despise small beginnings. Don't despise small beginnings. And don't be fooled. The kingdom of God, no matter how things may appear at the moment, will continue to grow until people from every tribe and every nation find shelter in the branches of the tree of the kingdom of God. Good Friday. 2,000 years ago, a carpenter died on a tree. Probably seemed pretty insignificant to most of the people in the world of his day. That's just another guy that the Romans killed. But today, that cross, that tree, casts a shadow that continues to grow and grow and grow. And weary, sin-sick people Continue to find shade and shelter under that tree, under the shadow of the cross. So be encouraged. Uh, As C.S. Lewis said, Aslan is on the move. God is at work. And sometimes, though, he's most at work. Sometimes he's most at work. The light is getting ready to break out when things actually seem the darkest to us so be encouraged even when it seems dark the kingdom is still growing the kingdom is still growing and be challenged there are people who need to hear about this tree there are people who need to hear about this cross there are people who need to hear the message of the gospel and find rest <coughs> in its shade Can you pray for those people Can you speak to those people. Go, tell his people by the kingdom, by the cross. Well, the king will bring light to the world. The king's word will have effect. The, the king's kingdom will be established. I want to close with a with my own parable for you. Uh, this is actually a, a true story, but I think this is a picture of how this kingdom grows. Uh, We've had some some great musicians pass away uh, this year. I don't have any print stories yet. Uh, But but two weeks ago, uh, country music legend Merle Haggard passed away. Uh, Merle Haggard grew up rough, to say the least. There was a time in his life when he was actually living in a boxcar that his dad had converted into a place for them to live. Uh, He said that That after his dad's death, his life basically went off the rails, and he spent ten of the first twenty years of his life either running away or in prison. I mean, that's basically who his was. Who he was. His first child was born while he was in prison. That was the life that he lived. But his dad, before he died, had planted a seed through his love of music. He loved music, and he had passed that on. his son. Uh, Merle Haggard eventually wound up in San Quentin Prison, one of the most notorious prisons in the United States. Uh, He says, you don't want me to talk about things that happens there? I I can't even think about the things that I witnessed there. It was an awful place. Then one day a man named Johnny Cash showed up at San Quentin Prison and maybe you've heard one of his concerts there. He showed up to do a concert and Haggard said that it was It was Johnny Cash's empathy, it was his commitment to do something for these people who were so down and out, his commitment to bring them a ray of light that showed him that he could travel a different path than the one he had been traveling thus far in his life. Uh, Merle Haggard would go on to leave prison. He would have 38 uh, number one country songs. He would become one of the legends of country music, and he would become great friends with Johnny Cash. 2003, when Johnny Cash was in the hospital dying, Merle Haggard evidently snuck in. He put on a doctor's coat, a white coat, and he went to the ICU to visit him. And Johnny Cash said, What are you doing here, Haggard? And Merle Haggard replied, I'm here because I love you. I'm here because I love you. A man who started in prison, whose life was changed, and now loved the one who had played a part in changing he was changed. How was he changed though? He was changed, really, by the music. He was changed by a seed planted by his father. His father who loved music, and that lodged in Merle Haggard's heart, even though nobody probably realized at the time. And then Johnny Cash came along, and he brought that seed to life as he played music again for Merle Haggard to hear. And that music that was there already took root, and it grew, flourished and it produced a very different man I think that's a beautiful picture of what the gospel does if you think of the gospel as music, this music that gets lodged in our hearts, gets lodged in our souls and sometimes it just lies dormant there for years and then something happens through God's providence to bring that gospel to life and it begins to bear fruit in our own lives. And we begin to sing the music of the gospel ourselves. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. Have you been planting seeds that seem to be lying dormant? Those seeds that you're planting have seed have, have power that you couldn't possibly understand. You don't know what God is going to use to bring those seeds to life. Be challenged. Challenge. Are you playing C? Are you playing C? Are you mad at the twenty-year-old Merle Haggards of the world, or do you see them as somebody else who needs to hear the song of the gospel? Let's pray to God, <clears throat> Father. We pray for something much more than music even though it is powerful to take root in our lives. And we pray for the music of the Gospel to take root in our lives. Father, I pray that we as Your people would be encouraged to sow the seed of the Gospel, but that we'd be encouraged as well to wait on You and wait on Your timing, that we would not be discouraged when we don't see freedom, that we would trust You and leave this in Your hands because Your light will be revealed, Your glory will be revealed, You will grow Your kingdom, Father, we would, we would take a moment just silently now, um, and we want to lift up some people that we've been perhaps planting seed a long time and haven't seen anything, so I me to give everybody a moment just to pray perhaps for some of those situations.